So last week, we started uh, looking at chapter 13 uh, in the book of Exodus uh, and another set of instructions. And I said this last week, um, that these instructions are, are two-part, right? First two verses uh, is a word coming from God to Moses. And then for verse thir- 3 to 16 is Moses' word to the people of Israel. Um, and you can check it out on your Bibles if you want. Um, it's, 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 for me, anyway, it's clear, right? One and two, God's instruction to Moses. And then three to 16, Moses' instructions to the people. And I said this last week as well, that this was a reflection or this is like um, um, similar to chapter 12. Uh, at the beginning of chapter 12, God told Moses how to do the Passover, the instructions for Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Uh, Moses heard that and relayed the instructions back to the people of Israel. Here is the same thing, but not really. Uh, because if you read God's instructions to Moses in verses 1 and 2, and then you read Moses' instructions to the people, it doesn't seem like it all connects. Um, and so I argued last week that, no, these are... These connect what Moses imparted, what Moses shared to the people of Israel is exactly uh, what God wanted him to deliver. Um, so um, if you look at these verses closer, uh, and that's what we did last week. Uh, I said that I came up with three questions right, regarding these, uh, regarding these verses. Uh, first question, what does it mean to consecrate something to the Lord? That's the first thing that God told Moses in chapter 13, 1 and 2. Consecrate to me all firstborn. Whatever is first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both man and beast, is mine. What does that mean? And we answered that last week. Second question. Why are the instructions for the Feast of Unleavened Bread right in the middle of the instructions for the consecration of the firstborn? Why is that? Um, And third... Why the firstborn? I asked this last week, right, as well. Who was firstborn here? Mga panganay? Firstborn? Yeah. We all share the same burdens as firstborn because, uh, I don't know, in other cultures, but in the Filipino culture, you know, you're firstborn, you're responsible for everything. You have to be the most responsible. Um, and there is a special, uh, I guess, office that we call the office of the firstborn that's that's there right um that where we got that uh understanding of being a firstborn from uh, we'll see it here later on so uh just to remind you what i said last week i said that to be consecrated uh, that's the first instructions that god had for moses to be consecrated is to be set apart for god for what purpose for the purpose of remembering god's salvation that's exactly what moses Told the Israelites, right? Uh, and the next set of verses after that um, uh, from Moses is the, uh, I would say, realization of what it means to be consecrated. Or in other words, what does being consecrated look like? So when God told Moses, consecrate from me, firstborn, everything, every firstborn that opens the womb, man or beast, set them apart from me. Moses' message to the Israelites is, this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like to be Consecrated, verses 3 to 16. So Moses gives the people instructions. First for the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and then for the, and notice this, consecration and redemption of the firstborn. I want you to notice that. Consecration 
and then redemption of the firstborn. So for Moses, being consecrated can be seen and understood through the Feast of Unleavened Bread and through the redemption of the firstborn. Now for our purposes, these instructions are pointers to the Christian doctrines or teachings on redemption and sanctification. I, I said that last week as well. Uh, in Exodus, you might not realize it, but we're being fed major Christian doctrines. Okay? Soteriology, remember last week? <laughs> Anthropology, homarchiology, study of sin, study of man, study of salvation. And now, in this chapter, we're going to see teaching on redemption and sanctification. So what does it mean for God to redeem? And how does redemption play a part in our sanctification? Or in other words, our growth spiritually. That's going to be our topic this morning. So hopefully you're ready to, to listen. So before we answer these questions, let's, look at, let's look at, take a look at the significance of the firstborn first. Why the firstborn to begin with? I'm going to read to you a comment by uh, Riken on his uh, commentary on the Exodus it says this, the point of consecrating the firstborn was really to show that the whole family belonged to God. The firstborn represents all the offspring, including the girls as well as the rest of the boys. The firstborn stood for the family as a part representing the whole. So the way, for example, that a captain represents his team at the beginning of a football game or an executive represents his corporation at the beginning or, or at the bargaining table. So when God claims the firstborn, he's claiming the whole people. He's claiming the whole generations that will come after that firstborn. And that's why he took all the firstborn of the Egyptians. You guys notice that? To end that reign of slavery in Egypt. Let me take your firstborn. That's it. You're done. After that, Egypt. The whole, the whole empire of Egypt just up and disappeared. Right? They, were all, they were beaten by other empires. So if you look at the history of that, that's part of the reason why God took their firstborn. Uh, not to mention that that's God's claim to them. You're, you know, it's, you know, even though you're worshiping all these other gods, you should be worshiping me because I own And that's why I said last week as well that God's instructions to Moses in chapter 13 is really a claim, claim of ownership. Not just for the people that were there in the present, the present Israel at that time, but for everyone who will come after them. And the firstborn represents that. Right? Same reasoning applies when God took the firstborn again of the Egyptians, both man and beast. God puts his claim on all his creations. All living creatures belong to God. Now, remember the purpose for these instructions again? Is that of remembrance. What, what, what is God reminding the people of Israel through these instructions? His salvation. I, I got you out of Egypt. I'm the one who took you out of, of Egypt. So if you follow the train of thought, it should lead you back to not just the Egyptian salvation, but it should lead you all the way back to Genesis 3. 
right? It's all one story, right? It should lead you all the way back to Genesis 3. Why? Because even though Adam and Eve sinned against God, they weren't cursed. Remember? Because God made them and owned them, he wasn't just going to get rid of them. Instead, he set out this big plan of salvation to redeem them. So the consecration of the firstborn, therefore, is God reclaiming what is his to begin with. We're, we're God's. He created us. right? And then now he has to reclaim us because of sin. And to do that, you not just only need to consecrate, he needs to redeem. So the message to the people of Israel, to us today, is the same thing. We don't belong to the slave masters of this world. We belong to God. He is our creator. We should remember that always. Now, check out the rest of the instructions regarding the firstborn. Chapter 13, verses 11, and the first part of verse 12. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers, and shall give it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. Notice the instructions. Set apart, consecrate to the Lord all that first opens the womb. Now look at the next part of verse 12. Can you guys read the next part? Next part. You see the shift? What was the instructions at the first part of verse 12? All firstborn, male, female, any firstborn, man or beast. And then the second part says, all the firstborn of, this time just the animals, that are males, shall be the Lord's. What does that mean? Let's go to Numbers 18, verse 17. But the firstborn of a cow, or the firstborn of a sheep, or the firstborn of a goat, shall not redeem. Why? They are holy. You shall sprinkle their blood on the altar and shall burn their fat as a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Firstborn separated as an offering. So what God is about to do here in, in, in chapter 13, verse 12 of Exodus, he's about to show us what it means to redeem something and also what it means to be redeemed. Right, get that? What it means to redeem and what it means to be redeemed. That shift that we saw in the instructions given by Moses from set apart all firstborn, all firstborn, to set apart all male firstborn of beasts, is the foundation or the root of what it means to redeem and be redeemed. Right? So what does it mean to redeem, first of all? To redeem something in the context of Exodus is to buy something back okay, through the payment of a price. To buy something back through the payment of a price. The instructions in Numbers 18 says that certain animals don't need to be redeemed. Do you remember the holiness continuum? Do you remember that? And I showed you that, that picture of how holiness works in the Leviticus. Okay, if you don't remember that, go back to that sermon. I'm not going to repeat it. 
All right? God is always showing his people, this is clean, this is unclean. You should be clean. Right? So that's what he's doing here. Uh, that's why he said in Numbers 18, these animals, you don't need to redeem. They're already set apart. They're holy. And who determined their holiness? God. God chose them to be those animals. Holy. Set apart. And again, for what? As a sacrificial offering. The payment for the cost of redemption. What needs to be paid? 13a. In uh, Exodus 13 again. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. Or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. So, Moses uses the example of a donkey. Okay. Why? Why donkeys? Donkeys back in those days are work animals. They're considered by God to be unclean, unfit for ceremonial or holy sacrifice. But does God still own the firstborn of the donkeys? Yes. Remember the first command, consecrate to me all. So he still owns the firstborn of the donkeys. But since they're unclean, how are they supposed to be given back to God? God can't take any unclean. That's why if you look at the instructions uh, in the, uh, for the donkeys, there's two ways that an owner can redeem the donkey. First, by breaking its neck. Since you can't give the donkey back to God because God considers it unclean, you kill it. Don't give it back to me. I don't want, God doesn't want that, right? Because he, he's holy. He's, he's perfect. He's clean. That's the first way. You break its neck. You don't want to redeem it, break its neck. Or redeem the donkey. How? You offer a lamb as a sacrifice. The thing that God deems clean, you offer that as a sacrifice. And therefore, you can redeem the unclean. You get it? Now, I pointed this out to you last week um, because the very next sentence in chapter 13, verse 13, talks about the firstborn human son. Let's read it again. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with the lamb. Or if you will not redeem it, break its neck. And then it says, Every firstborn of man among your sons shall redeem. So if you follow the train of thought, Moses is saying that for every firstborn son, the father must sacrifice a lamb in order to redeem his son. Otherwise, what, are you going to kill your son? <laughs> Break the neck of your son? No, right? Uh, but you got you to understand during those days, there was child sacrifices that were happening. So people might tend to think, yeah, maybe that's the God of the Israelites. That's what he's asking them. No, it's not. It's, it's, that's a no-no in, in the Jewish uh, religion. You don't redeem your, you don't break the neck of your son. That's why, there's this, that's why there's this command. If you want to redeem, use a sacrificial to redeem your, your son. But isn't it interesting how Moses uses a parallel between a donkey and the firstborn son? 
I know there's, there's some firstborn sons that are like donkeys. They're, they're jackasses, <laughs> right? Not all firstborn are, you know, quote-unquote responsible. There are some firstborn that are not. But the, the being unclean of the donkey, unfit to be given back to God, the firstborn son was put in the same category by Moses. Why? Uh, what is God trying to teach his people here? Again, answer to that question, we need to go back to God's original purpose for all of these things. It's for them to remember how God saved them from slavery and are now his. What, if, what is God reminding them at that point? You can't save yourself. You need to be redeemed. So comparing the donkey to the first and the firstborn to those animals who are fit for sacrifice is God teaching his people again there's clean and unclean there are there's sacred and then there is secular there is holy and then there's unholy anything unholy must be redeemed how by the offering of something that is holy in this case is the lamb and again, don't miss the fact that it is God who determines who is holy and who is not. Remember what happened to Cain and Abel? And they first gave their offerings, first fruits. Cain gave whatever's left over. Abel gave the best. Cain thought that he can just give God whatever. What he thought was good enough. That's not how it works. God is the one who determines what is holy and what is acceptable before him. And those are the only things that can redeem. So for the firstborn to be placed in the same category as the donkey means that the generations that will come after the firstborn must also be redeemed. That's why this is supposed to be done year after year. Right? That's why the command of Moses to the people to do this ritual even after God brings them to the promised land is to remind them that they needed redemption. And therefore, point them back to the salvation of God when they were enslaved in Egypt. And therefore, continue to build up their faith in God to continue to be faithful, to be saved, to save. Right? That's God's ultimate purpose, for them to believe in Him, for them to trust Him. That's why He keeps reminding them of that. Remember, remember, remember what I did for you. Remember Egypt. Remember how I got you out. He's faithful to save. That's why I said last week as well that verses 1 and 2 and verses 11 to 16 is like the bread that holds together the meat of the sandwich, which is found, where's the meat found in verses 3 to 10, right? So verses 1 and 2, God's command to Moses to consecrate. 11 to 16 is Moses' instructions to the people of Israel on what it means to be consecrated. That means you redeem your firstborn. Redeem the donkey, right? And then in the middle is the instructions for what? Feast of unleavened bread. And I said that that was the meat, right? Now, I want you to note, note this. When I say meat, I don't mean that it's the most significant part or the most important part of this chapter. It's not. I say meat because of its placement, because it's right in the middle, 
You don't put the meat of a sandwich outside the bread. It's always in the, in the middle. That's why it's called this sandwich. So when I say meat, I'm not saying it's just the most important thing. It's not. Actually, the bread is the most important thing here. I'm just saying meat because of its placement, right? So uh, it, this, this meat falls right in between, or right in the middle of God's command to consecrate and Moses' instructions for redemption of the consecrated. That's why if you remember what I said last week, I said that that bread that's holding the sandwich must be strong enough to hold that sandwich together. Remember I said that? You can't use like a, a flimsy bread. It's gonna, the, fall, the sandwich is going to fall apart. Right? You, you don't put burgers inside a white bread. No, it has to be burger buns. It has to be a toasted burger bun because it has to hold the, the juices and all that stuff of the sandwich. Right? And why do I say that? And why do I say that this, this instructions for the Feast of Unleavened Bread is our sanctification? Well, it's because sanctification is messy. You need something to hold everything together. Because that middle part, that's messy. Why do I say that? Let's read one more time. 3 to 10. Can you guys read it? So the Feast of Unleavened, I'm not going to go through the whole thing again, but the Feast of Unleavened Bread tells them, the instructions is for them to cleanse all leaven. Inside, don't eat. Outside, get all the leaven. And not just in your house, in your territory. Right? Did you guys see that? In your territory, get rid of all the leaven. And then he, it says there that you shall observe this, okay, even when the Lord brings you to the land. Of the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Hittites, right? What happened? Do you guys know the story? They were supposed to clear out that land. Remember? When Moses got them to the brink? Actually, it started when uh, they sent out spies to the land. Right? Only two were confident that, no, God has given us this land. Let's take it. The rest, no, they're giants there. We're like grasshoppers. I think we're, Eugene did a sermon on this. We're like grasshoppers to them. 
the leaven is still in them. They didn't get rid of it. Why? Because they didn't trust that God has already given us this land. We just have to take it. But they, were, they saw these giants and they were all afraid. That's why God is telling them, get rid of that. You don't need that anymore. That's not you anymore. That's why the instructions said that. Get rid of leaven. What's, what's the leaven? The sins that they brought from Egypt. And that's why the instruction starts off with when, when the Lord brings you to the land, promised land, keep this service. Okay? And what's the anchor for that command? How, how do I keep this service? How do I keep cleaning leaven? How do I get rid of all this leaven? The anchor to this command is that because of God's salvation, people of Israel are now His, consecrated. And therefore, keep this service. Do this as a remembrance of that salvation. So if the point of these instructions of Moses is to show the people what it looks like to be consecrated, then again, the Feast of Unleavened Bread is a pointer to the doctrine of sanctification. What's the doctrine of sanctification say? It says that all Christians in their lifetime should be continuously getting purified. Right? In their lifetime. Not when you profess. In your lifetime, you should continuously be getting purified. Perfected, conformed to the image of Christ. Nobody, if you call yourself a Christian, should stop growing. Nobody. No Christian should stop growing. So the whole point of this feast of unleavened bread is for the Israelites to, to do this. To always remember to cleanse themselves, their household, their surroundings of anything that has the influence of sin or in the historical context, the influence of Egypt. What are these influences that God wants them to get rid of? Worship of other gods. And most of all, that slavery mentality. You don't, can't think like that anymore. Right? You're free. Right? God is saying, rid yourself of all of this. Turn the chapter. That chapter is done. Start a new chapter, Right? God's saying, rid yourself of all of this Be first because you're now mine, consecrated again, and I have redeemed you. And I talked about this before. In the redemption, somebody always had to pay the price. Who paid the price in the redemption of Israel from Egypt? The Egyptians. They lost their firstborn. That's what it took for God to. Redeem his people, right? Somebody had to always pay the price. So now when we think about this, as far as our sanctification is concerned, you can go back to that sermon in Colossians 2. Remember that sermon in Colossians 2? The one in, of, the one in circumcision? Remember Paul's argument for how Christians at Colossae are supposed to walk or grow in faith? What did he remind them of? He reminded them what, that you are now in Christ, you have been redeemed, cut off, set apart from the body of the flesh or the sin nature. You are now a new creature. Your tendencies to sin have now been cut off and you can now fight against this sin. Back in the Exodus, God is teaching the, the, his people the same thing. It's a biblical truth about being saved. 
to be saved, to, de to declare faith in God, must come with a new beginning. It has to come with change. That's why when, when Jesus talked to Nicodemus, what does it say? You must be born again, right? It has to come with change. You have to have a new start. And God, in telling them to observe the Feast of Unleavened Bread, that's what he's telling them to do every year. Cleanse yourself. New start. Right? So therefore, when you look at that, God is telling his people, you can't just say you believe me. You can't just say that. You have to become it. You say you are my people, you have to become and God's, remember, God's reminding them how they do, how they become God's people. First, he owns them. Second, he redeems them. Or he redeemed them. Um, and now, when, uh, when God gives, or Moses gives his instructions to the people of Israel, he wants that salvation to be a reality in the lives uh, of his people by always remembering that they are no longer slaves. They have been freed by the power of God. Therefore, live like it. How do I live like that, God? Cleanse yourself of leaven. Anything that is still attaches you to Egypt, cut it off. Now, reason why I picture this whole chunk of verses as a sandwich is because people will tend to look at being made right with God as something, as something that is dependent on their performance. That's why I said earlier, not because I said it, it's the meat, that means it's the most important part of this whole chapter. It's not. It's just there. I just said meat because it's in the middle. And it needs to be in the middle. Why? I said earlier, the meat is messy, right? Why is meat messy? Because if you don't understand the two pieces of bread that's holding this sandwich together, you will either be become prideful or you'll become hopeless. You'll either, be become, you'll either become prideful or hopeless. Why? Because a lot of people think tend to look at being made right with God as something that is dependent on their performance. That if they don't perform, if they don't do, if they don't live in a certain way, God won't be pleased with them. Or if they do good, they do the right thing, they earn points with God. That's why a lot of people come to church on Christmas Day, Christmas Eve, Easter, and no, it's true, because their mentality is still like that. I mean, there are probably some of you here, I got to go to church because, ah, you know, otherwise God will get mad at me. No. If that's your attitude, just stay home. <laughs> Next week, nobody here. <laughs> if that's your attitude, that's not what God wants. That's not what he's getting them to do here. That's why you put those things, the, the two bread pieces, right? That's the greatest error of other monotheistic religions. Who are, what, what are these monotheistic religions? The Muslims, Jews, Catholics, Roman Catholics. That's their error. That our being saved, our being made right with God is somehow based on our day-to-day 
performance. Like if I go to, if I go to Jerusalem and, and be baptized in the river, Jordan River, I will be not just saved, holy. And when they come back here, they're the most unholy person. Some people bring back uh, the mud from the... Oh, if you put it on your face, you will. <sighs> the sprinkling of the water. <laughs> there's, so, there's so many of that. But why? Because of that mentality that our being saved is somehow based on performance. Now, if you understood what we just discussed last week and this morning, I hope you saw that that's not the case. What's the basis for the Feast of Unleavened Bread? It's not the consistency of the Israelites to clean leaven around them. You know how hard it is to clean leaven? Leaven is in the air. Remember I told you this, when you, people make leaven, they, they make the food for it, and then the leaven just comes in and eats the food, and then it just becomes a leavener. But it's all around you. How, how are you going to clean that? Can't clean it. It's like when you're, you know, when you're... Um, Installing a screen protector. It's hard to get rid of the dust, right? You, it looks clean. Then when you put the thing on, there's lots, there's like bubbles. Because there's still dust there. I don't care what you do. <laughs> because dust is everywhere. You can't just clean it. So it can't be on the basis of their consistency. It can't be that. That every year they have to do this. And then God finds them faithful again. No. Right? What is the basis of you know, the Feast of Unleavened Bread is a result of being consecrated and redeemed. It's what holds that sandwich together. It is for them to remember that they are now gods and therefore they must live in a way to reflect that. Are being consecrated and redeemed are the anchors of living a life that is continuously being sanctified. Continuously being purified. Otherwise, you won't be able to sustain it. I don't care how hard you try. Read your Bible, pray every day. Anybody does that here? You don't miss it? That's not what sustains. Helping old people cross the street, not what sustains. Serving in ministry, not what sustains. What sustains is knowing that I'm consecrated and I've been redeemed. And these are also not just anchors. They're also safeguards or a fence that God surrounds his people to protect us from pride and hopelessness. Why do, you, why do I say that? Listen. If our sanctification was fully dependent on our performance, then every time we do well, who gets credit? That's why I, 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 I'm so uncomfortable when people approach me after service. Oh, good job. Good job. Good preaching. <laughs> I don't want you to remember what I did. <laughs> I want you to remember the message. 
right? Because <laughs> a lot of people, they, they, they say, good job, good preaching. I, I like that illustration on uh, what's the message about. Some people remember what I wear. You wore that last week, you're wearing it again? What? But they don't remember the message. You shouldn't. <laughs> I don't want you to, that's not my goal here. My goal is for you to remember the message. I don't want this to be dependent on my performance. Right? Why? Because if that happens, you hear enough, your head gets big. Your pride sets in. Those of you who sing up here, right? You hear that all the time, right? Oh, your voice like an like a angel. Oh, you're so good with the guitar. You're so good with the... Don't let it be about that, right? Instead, let, tell them like that. Praise God. Thank you. Praise God. Don't tell them you're, 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 you're full of it. No, don't tell them that. Praise God. You don't want pride to set in because once pride sets in, what? pride comes before the. And there are some people that have that holier than thou attitude. Right? I'm in the choir. How come you're not? What's wrong with you? I joined Bible study, X Men. Where do you go? No? How come? Holier than thou. Please don't let that happen. It's not about that. <laughs> right? What about when we don't do well? I think I'm going to talk to more people with this. What about if, you know, you've been a Christian for however many years, and you feel like you're not progressing. You feel like you're not growing. You still have a temper. You still have a mouth on you. You still... Come to church with a heavy heart. Like I have to be here. I have to sit here. Because my mom told me to. Or my wife. I get mad at me if I don't. If you're that. What, what, what about that? If that's your attitude. If that's how you think. Or, or maybe, you know, you still can't forgive yourself for something that you did. What happens if you don't have those two pieces of bread? Hopelessness sets in, right? Right? And, and then so, soon comes this, uh, this burden that you're unable to, to bear anymore. But you keep bearing it. You forget. You've been redeemed. Somebody was already broken for you. <laughs> you know, you were, you've been redeemed. God didn't break your neck. You're still loved. You're, you've been redeemed. You're owned, doubly owned now. I've been consecrated and redeemed. So there shouldn't be hopelessness. So God reminds us of that. He reminds the Israelites of that. I consecrated you, claimed you for myself, and I redeemed you from slavery. You are now mine, like fully mine. Therefore, trust in me. I will be faithful to finish what I started. Verses 1 and 2 and verse 11 to 16. Namely, God's election and his redemption are the rock-solid foundations of the Christian faith that holds our sanctification on solid ground despite the challenges 
and growing pains that we will experience in our journey to be conformed to the image of Christ. It has to. Nothing else can hold it. If you know Romans 8, 28, all things, what? Work together for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. That all things is huge. That all things include the death of a loved one, cancer, job loss, name it. Something must be solid to be holding that promise up. What is it? Read the rest of Romans 8 beginning of it you're now therefore not condemned anymore those who are in Christ Jesus right we are now in the spirit you don't have the mind of the flesh anymore you are now in the spirit that's what's holding it together otherwise when something doesn't go wrong when something doesn't go right you will just lose it there's growing pain sanctification is messy we need something to support us. We need something to hold us together. And it's that. God's election and God's redemption. So now, so far, these are just words. Right? Word from God, word from Moses. But God is a good teacher. Right? God is a good teacher. God did not just leave the Israelites to listen and remember these doctrines. What's next after the instructions? What's next? Good parents do this, okay? Bad parents, they just tell their kids, do this, and they expect them to do it. Good parents will show their kids how it's done. Give them instructions, show them how it's done, walk them through it, okay? Slowly let them go. That's what I did with my sons, right? And along the way, there's tests. Um, when my, I was teaching my kids how to wash dishes, right? I, I just, there's the smell test and the sound test. You know what the smell test is? Smell the dish. Still smells like adobo, not clean. Sound test. You go like this. He has to squeak. If it doesn't squeak, do it again. <laughs> same with the washroom, cleaning the washroom, same thing. Oh, everything that I've taught them. There's a test. But before the test comes, there's the teaching. There's the holding hands. There's the example. There's the showing. God is doing the same thing. So he just told them what needs to be done. Right? And all this is for their faith to grow. For their faith in him to grow, to blossom. Now comes the tests. This next part in the Exodus, or yeah, in the, in the start of the Exodus, is God holding the hand of the Israelites as they put these doctrines into practice. Okay? If you read the rest, the whole book is like that. God putting these doctrines, helping the Israelites put these doctrines into practice. We're going to take up the first one at the end of chapter 13 next week. Okay? For now, I want you to remember this. Your sanctification is being held up. Your sanctification is great. Okay? That's why it's so important. A lot of people, a lot of churches, they focus on the justification and glorification. Sometimes we forget about that middle part where we're all in. Look, we're here. That's the thing that we always forget. We always remind people, you're justified and that you're going to heaven. 
the middle part is missing. This whole thing is about the middle part. This whole book is all about the middle part. So don't forget that. That your sanctification is being held up not by your talents, not by your good looks, not by your offering. Not, none of that. God's consecration is redemption. That's the only two things that can hold your sanctification together. Otherwise, you will fall apart. Amen? Next week, we'll see how it applies. Come back next week. Let's pray. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you. And give you peace. And give you peace. And give you peace. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. And be great. And be gracious unto you. And be gracious. The Lord be gracious.